for our scripture reading today. We will be in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I will read the first verse, and we will read the second verse together, and down through verse 7 of Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I speak, I'd like to say something. Uh, Tonight, Lord willing, I'll be preaching across the street. Uh, Pastor Jaime from the Spanish Baptist Church across the street, Sinai Baptist Church, uh, came over and said that uh, they were very grateful for being able to use our parking lot and uh, that they invited me to come over and preach for their anniversary service tonight at five o'clock. How many of you understand Spanish? I'd like you to come because I want to make sure this translator is doing it right, okay? And uh, I'll be preaching over there from Isaiah 6 tonight, and uh, we're very happy for that. Uh, They've also, I understand, uh, asked James Peavy to come over and preach next Sunday night. So uh, he can preach in Spanish, which will be very nice. But we appreciate Uh, having a ministry across the street where the gospel is preached and people are encouraged to trust in the Lord. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, as we come to your word today, help us to have a greater insight into what it means for you to truly be the Lord of our life. You are Lord. Help us to recognize that. Practical ways, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the Great Commission, along with telling his followers to make disciples of all the nations and to baptize disciples, he also told his followers to teach disciples all that I have commanded you. A dear friend of mine for many years, Rick Lineweber, who also serves as a, served as an associate pastor with me at Limerick, uh, he took that as a challenge. 
And he went in and he listed all the imperatives said by Christ as recorded in the four Gospels and then narrowed them down to 20 commands of Christ and developed a curriculum for discipleship based on the 20 commands of Christ. Bill Gothard has done the same thing. He's published a curriculum of the 20 commands of Christ. Uh, It's remarkable to me that there are so many discipleship programs around the world. uh, Very few of them involve just saying, well, what did Christ command us to do? What did he say that we should do? I want us to zero in today on this Memorial Day Sunday on uh, one command of Christ. It is this. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. You see, Jesus had some people who tried to trap him with questions. Does that ever happen today? Yeah. And uh, so they tried to trap him. And, and so they came to him and they said, is it right to pay taxes uh, to, to the government or not? And of course, the government in those days was an oppressive government. It was the Roman government. It was a government of occupation by a foreign power that let its taxation up to the Zacchaeuses of Israel, people who would cheat the citizens out of anything they could with a Roman soldier standing by with his sword. And so uh, the Jewish people uh, felt oppressed by this uh, corrupt system of taxation. They thought, we'll get him either way, because either the Romans will arrest him for insurrection Or the Jews will reject him because they'll say, well, he's no Messiah. If he teaches we're supposed to pay taxes to the Romans, it looked like he had been caught. But Jesus doesn't get caught, does he? He said, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin. And he said, whose whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Well, then render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God's. By the way, whose image is on that child? Every child. We were made in the image of God, every single human being. Amen? Made in the image of God. So to whom do the children belong? To God. To God. An important thing to think about in our day. The image of God. The image is on the coin. So we pay our taxes as Christians. Yes, we do. We render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And we render unto God that which is God's. And I believe it takes great insight and wisdom today to determine what is God's and what is Caesar's. You see, there's a lot of confusion today about government. Some people consider everything that government does is wrong. Our country was founded by people like that. This is a rebel country. Yeah. It was founded in rebellion against the king of England. And a war resulted known as the Revolutionary War. It wasn't that much longer that you folks down here tried to pull that same stunt. 
didn't go as well. But we are a nation uh, of free spirits, of rugged individualists. And uh, so sometimes there are people who continue that attitude that anything the government does is corrupt and wrong, and uh, we're against it, whatever it is. The other extreme is people who look to government for everything. Uh, They regard government almost as a god in their life, and they look for every possible need to be supplied by the government, and they are completely dependent on the government, and they couldn't do without it. Both of those are wrong. The Christian is called to walk in wisdom and to walk with discernment. For the New Testament church, Romans chapter 13 is the expression of that. Now, the context of this is that Paul doesn't start the book of Romans by talking about human government. He talks about our sinful state and how, whether we be religious or non-religious, Jew or Gentile, we still are guilty before God and that we need a Savior and that God sent the Savior, Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins. And the first eight chapters talk about our great salvation. Then 9, 10, and 11, he deals with what about Israel. In chapter 12, we have the hinge of the book, moving from doctrine now into practice and application. And that hinge is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship and service. Based on God's great salvation through Christ, provided by grace through faith, we in gratefulness place ourselves willingly under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we say, all that we are and have belongs to you. We are your servants. We are your living sacrifice. Once we have made that commitment on the basis of God's grace, we have placed ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And now we're ready to hear how Christians are supposed to live, not just on Sunday in church when we can all be good for an hour and a half or whatever, you know but how we're going to live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What kind of thinking will we have while we are working out Schedule C of our 1040 form? Okay? What kind of decisions we will make at work with the family, paying our bills, making our decisions, our everyday life. And so in chapter 12, he says, I want you to live a life of forgiveness of others, of grace and mercy towards others. I've been gracious to you. I want you to be gracious to others. And then in chapter 13, he says, I want you to submit to human authorities. Now, most Christians are ready to submit to God. You know, wherever he leads, I'll go. Lord, I'll do your will. And we sing songs about that all the time, how we want to do God's will. We want to please him. We love him. We want to serve him. And then he says, here's the deal. If you really love me and want to serve me, then obey human government. 
You say, wait a minute. No, no, I'm obeying you, Lord. He says, the way you show submission to me is by submitting to human government. Well, you might say, well, wait a minute. Human government. I mean, take Washington, for example. They're just fiddling up there. They're fiddling around. How can you submit to that whole thing? Well, we go back in history and we say, who was the emperor when Paul wrote these words? Oh, speak of fiddling. Yeah. Nero, the man who was known for fiddling while Rome burned. He wanted uh, to kind of rebuild Rome, so he let it burn. He's the one who was known later in his life, after this time, he was still Caesar, for impaling Christians on tall poles, sharp sticks, coating them with grease and setting them on fire to light his nighttime chariot races. Nero was a bad guy. You think we have bad leaders. Nero was a bad guy who murdered his own mother. A horrible person. And the very taxes that were collected, as Paul says, were likely used to buy the sword that chopped off the Apostle Paul's head later in his life when he was executed by that very government. Yeah, you think we've got problems with our government. And yet, and yet, Paul calls Christians to have a good testimony by submitting to that kind of government. Now, there's three truths that I would like to look at today. And if you want to know where we're going, they're on the back of your bulletin. You get an idea of when we'll be getting near the end. Although I usually kind of spend most of my time on the first point. But uh, so what are the three truths that Paul points out in these seven verses? Uh, The first one is that all authority is from God. All authority is delegated. It has its source in God. You say, well, good governments come from God. But what about bad governments? Notice what he says Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God and those which exist. In order to qualify for being those that are appointed by God, they must exist. We think about our brothers and sisters in places like communist China. Hey, you don't hear that term much anymore. (laughs) Do you remember when they used to talk about red China and things like that? Anybody old enough to remember those days? Yeah. Don't buy those pants. They're from Red China. Hey, what if we did that today? What if we said, I'm not going to buy any shoes. Really, if we didn't buy shoes from China, we'd all be barefoot. You know, it's amazing. But China does not have religious freedom. Not like we know anything about. The government can shut down a church and bulldoze it anytime it wants to. And there might be a church, but that's only as long as the government lets there be a church. What about being a Christian in China? What about being a Christian in India where the government is blatantly and openly Hindu? What about being a Christian in Pakistan where the government is very clearly Muslim? And we think about our brothers and sisters in places where uh, false religion or even atheism is the official position of the government, and yet he says all that authority that exists is established by God. So to resist government authority is to resist God. 
And judgment will come upon you if you resist. And resisting government authority, you should not only submit for fear of the consequences, but so that you will have a good conscience. A good conscience. Love the story about the man that wrote a letter to the IRS. He enclosed a check for $1,000. He said, I... I, uh, I owe back taxes, so I'm sending this $1,000 check. I just haven't been able to sleep. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) You ever notice how many mattress stores there are? It's amazing. And what people will pay for the sleep number bed and all all kinds of fancy mattresses that do all kinds of things. I'll tell you what. The most effective mattress you will ever have is a good, clear conscience. Yeah, it really will. It's okay to, I hope you have a good mattress, but you know, a good conscience will help you more with the ability to sleep well. A good conscience. He says you should obey the government not only for fear of retribution, but because of the, for conscience sake. The best commentary on the scripture is the scripture itself. What does Peter say? Paul said this. What does Peter say? In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, we read these words, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This was the teaching of the apostles to the New Testament church. Yes, you see the fault of human government. You see the wrong and the evil performed by human government. But Christians were not to be known as revolutionary rebels, but as obedient, law-abiding citizens. This was in the day, written in the days, Romans 13, and the days just prior to the great Jewish revolt against Roman rule, in which the Jews rose up against the Roman Empire and were slaughtered and enslaved and driven out of their country as a result of their resistance. This is just prior to Masada and all of the uh, resistance of Jews against the Roman Empire. But here Paul says, no, Christians are to be law-abiding citizens and to give a proper testimony. You say, yeah, but. Well, now we get to the yeah, but part, okay? Let's take a look. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. If you're looking up verses in your Bible, here's the yeah, but part. Uh, Here are the limits on the obedience of Christians to human government. Because human government is not supreme. God is. And we must obey God rather than men. Where do we get that from? Uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. 
They brought him before the council, verse 27, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, that is the name of Jesus, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So when God's law and man's law are contradictory, we do not seek to overthrow that government, but we obey God. We obey God. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember those guys? Yeah. They didn't bow, they didn't bend, they didn't burn. Amen? And Jesus stood with them in the fiery furnace. They didn't bow to the golden image. Why? Because they said, we only bow to God. There's only one God. It's not government. Why were so many Christians sacrificed to the animals and to gladiators in the arenas of Rome because they would not pinch, they would not take a pinch of incense and burn it on the sacrifice to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. They said, no, we have one Lord. Daniel didn't stop praying when they passed the law that you can't pray to anybody but the king. He just went right on praying. And he kept his windows open, didn't he? And they saw it. They had to throw him in the lion's den, but God closed the mouths of the lions, didn't he? We don't always know what's going to happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we don't know what God's going to do. We just know we're not going to bow. That's what we know. God rescued them. Sometimes he rescues, sometimes he does not. He takes us home. I love the story of the midwives in Exodus chapter 1, way back in the beginning of your Bible. You remember how the Egyptians got worried about the multiplication of the Jewish people who were slaves in the land of Egypt. But the Jewish midwives, it says, feared God in Exodus 1.17, and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Midwives said no. No. These children have the image of God upon them. We will not kill them. Isn't it sad that we live in a land that no longer believes in capital punishment, but does believe in abortion? Isn't that weird? We will not execute people who kill our policemen, but we do execute our unborn children if they are going to cost us a little extra money or inconvenience. How sad to see our land and the corruption of our laws. All authority is from God. And even the king was under the law. He was not above the law. One of the interesting rules for the nation of Israel was that when a person became king, one of the jobs he had to do was to make his own handwritten copy of the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the law. He was to copy out his own copy. You ever tried doing that? That'll take you a while. I like to write out books of the Bible. I've written out several New Testament books. But I'll tell you, that's a job. Why why did God say to do that? Because the king was under the law of God. No one is above the law. Not a president. Nobody. Everyone is under the unchanging moral law of God. And that is God's way that government is to operate. So we see that first fact 
that all human governments are ordained of God and are to be obeyed by Christians unless they contradict the clear law of God. The second fact is that rulers' job is to terrorize evildoers. We hear a lot of talk today about terrorists. According to this text, the government was meant to cause fear in the lives of those who would break the law. Lawbreakers were intended to be afraid of the law. Human government was established not just to put people through college and all kinds of other things that we got governments doing today. Government was essentially established by God to punish evildoers and to praise those who do well. A government that does that well is a government that honors God. We see that rulers are to terrorize evildoers. Government was intended for our good and that government agents are avengers. Hey, there's an interesting word. Avengers for God. And they do not bear the sword in vain or in an empty manner. What does that mean? Well, the sword refers to the right of human government to take a life for a life. It is based on the Noahic covenant set up before the Mosaic covenant. This was the covenant set up for all human beings by God back in Genesis chapter 9, just after the flood of Noah, God established the essential authority of human government. Here it is, Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. How sad that we now live in a world where people do not respect God, they do not expect the value human life as made in the image of God, and therefore they feel free to allow the government, to, to allow mothers to take the lives of their unborn children, and at the same time, very, very seldom use the sword as it was intended in regard to first-degree murder in particular. By whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? In the image of God, he made man. You say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, what does the New Testament teach? Look in Acts chapter 25 and verse 11. Paul is on trial. He's standing before Caesar's tribunal under Festus, the governor. Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. Paul recognized the authority of the Roman government to take his life if he had done something worthy of death. He upholds the matter of the image of God and the right of the government of capital punishment in the New Testament as well. 
Notice what God said for the nation of Israel about this. Numbers 35-33. Numbers 35-33 gives us a principle in regard to this. Numbers 35 and verse 33. God says to Israel, you shall not, so you shall not pollute the land in which you are, for blood pollutes the land, and no expiation can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. God said, To Cain, Abel's blood cries out from the ground to me for vengeance, for justice. The blood of innocent victims of murder in our land cries out to God for justice. We wonder why the horrible things described in the book of Revelation will come upon this earth. The reason given in the book of Revelation is that God will be bringing justice upon those who have shed innocent blood. Innocent blood cries out to God for vengeance upon the land, upon the nation that refuses to deal in justice with murderers and allows murder to go unjudged. The third fact that we see in this text is that rulers are the ministers of God. I love it when I meet somebody and they hear I'm a pastor and they say, oh, my nephew is a minister. You know, and I think, do you know what the word minister means? It means a servant. It means a slave. It means somebody who does what you want him to do when you want him to do it the way you want him to do it. Yeah, that's what a minister means is. This text uses two words for minister or servant. One is diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. Deacons are the servants of the church. There's another word in verse 6, liaturgos, which is used of angels and priests and government workers. How many of you ever worked for the government, any form of government, any level of government? Do you realize that you are Leoturgos? You are ministers of God? Why in the world do judges wear black robes? Because they were considered to be a form of clergy. They were considered to be acting in the place of God. That's why British judges still wear those white wigs and stuff. The idea was, ah, the Son of Man. They stood in the place of God as judges. They regarded themselves as under God. The founders of our country established one nation under God. And the idea was that government workers were servants of God and servants of the people. Hey, has that concept been carried out much lately? But Christians are to regard government agents as servants of God. They are to be regarded with respect because they have authority delegated by God himself. And so the practical outcome of this in our text is, so pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. I love how Jesus paid his taxes. Matthew 17, 24. I've often thought of this passage when I was fishing. Matthew 17, 24, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. 
When he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. In other words, I don't really have to pay tax because I run this whole universe, you know. <laughs> I think I should be exempt. You know. However, so that we may do not offend them, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that, give it to them for you and me. I can't even catch the fish, let alone catch the fish with enough to pay my taxes in it. You know? Although Mark Acuff, how big was that fish you caught? Okay. How, I want, what, how big was it? I really want to know. 110 pounds of halibut in Alaska. Yeah. So he's got fish. So if you want a fish sandwich or something, go see Mark. You know, Jesus knew how to impress fishermen, didn't he? You know, I mean, you know, Peter was a fisherman. He'd spent his life fishing. He was a commercial fisherman. And I think Jesus was like, watch this, you know, watch this. Go toss in a hook and the fish you catch is going to have enough to pay both of our taxes with. Yes, Jesus paid his tax, not because he really had to, but because he did not want to offend and he wanted to be a good example. It's kind of like the same reason he got baptized, to be a good example because Jesus is not only God and not only Savior, but he is our example. Amen? Why do we pay taxes? Because Jesus paid taxes. Because Jesus told us to pay our taxes. And you say, but, but it's, it's not really a tax. Well, he says pay the customs too. I don't know what that customs is. Maybe that's that money they add to your phone bill. You know, you ever notice that? There's all these little taxes that kind of come at you kind of sideways. All those things. Pay the customs, the little taxes, all the little stuff. And then fear and honor them. Have a respect. You see this on the highway, don't you? Yesterday we were coming down from Lynchburg and a policeman passed me. And he kind of got in front of me. And then I noticed everybody in front of him really slowed down. So we're all going slow down the highway, you know. And then he got off, and then, you know, everybody sped up. <laughs> it's amazing to watch on the highway how people fear, how the front end dips when they see the cop hiding behind the bush, you know. And, uh, and they see that. And, and you know, we, we do have that fear. You know, we show that respect. Yes, officer, yes, yes, yes. And we are respectful, and we should be. I love it when Daniel, remember what he said to the king? Oh, king, live forever. Did he really, I mean, you know, did Daniel really think that that old king was going to live forever? No, he just used the respectful way that you spoke to kings. I was thinking deeply about that, though. Do you realize that everybody you meet is going to live forever? The real question is where? That's the big question. And that's why we share the gospel with people, because... They who will live forever somewhere, we want them to live with us in heaven. That's why we tell them about Jesus. We want every person to live forever with God. So we put this all together and we say, so who elected Trump? Well, you say it was the right-wing bigots. Yeah. The Russians. 
Psalm 75.7 tells us who elected Trump. Psalm 75 and verse 11, uh, 7. Here it is. God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Who knows what corruption exists in the election system of the United States? There's more corruption in government than we will ever plumb the depths of. But I will tell you this. We can trust that there is a God in heaven who rules over human governments, who raises up one and puts down another, and we can live in security because someday God will destroy all human governments and set up the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, for a thousand years, and we will rule and reign with him. Amen? There's a new government coming, and it's good. So the first question, the most important question in any text is, are you saved? Are you saved? Book of Romans is about being saved. That's the most important message. Have you humbled yourself, admitted you were a sinner, worthy of death in hell? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve death, hell for our sins. Have you understood that and then come to Christ to believe that He died for your sins and rose again? And and have you received the free gift of eternal life from Him? Life, eternal life in heaven forever. Are you saved? That's the most important question. If you say, yes, I'm saved, well then, have you given your life to God as a living sacrifice? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Have you done that? Have you yielded your life to Him? Not to pay for your salvation, you can't pay for it, but in gratefulness to give yourself to Him who died for you. Have you placed yourself willingly under His Lordship? And then if so, are you willing to live under God-given authority in your family, in your church, in your nation, Not because your authorities are always right, but because God has placed you there. And unless they contradict the authority of God, his commands, then you are willingly submissive for a testimony and for an example. I was reading in my devotions in in, in Revelation chapter 21. I was reading about heaven. And I, I was reading about how the fact that heaven... Uh, the New Jerusalem, described in 21, the capital, uh, it has walls and it has gates. Isn't that interesting? I'd never struck, been struck by the fact that there are walls and gates. Just like your house has walls, right? Your house has walls, yeah. And, and probably gates, doors, you know. And you decide who comes in and who doesn't. Liberals kind of think that heaven has an open border policy. They think just everybody goes to heaven. So they don't sweat any of this gospel stuff. You know, it's just everybody's going to heaven because God is love and everybody's going to go to heaven. That's what they think. But the fact is that heaven does have walls and gates. And none of us deserve to go there. All of us are rejected in our own right. Only when we are cleansed by the blood and clothed with his righteousness can we enter through the gates of that city and dwell there with God. Only by his grace will we have any right to come. Let's bow in prayer. And Father, as annoying as taxes and government and rules and speed limits and everything else are in our lives, 
we come to thank you for human government. Thank you for this land, for this nation, for the laws, the freedoms, the blessings that we have from your hand in our country and through our government. We pray for those in authority over us today. We pray for our president, our vice president, our senators, our congressmen, our governors, our local officials. I pray, Lord, that you would help them. We especially want to pray today for those who were in our police force in our country as they're besieged in so many different ways. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see themselves as truly servants of God, serving you by serving us, protecting us. I pray that you would give our judges in our country, our lawmakers, the willingness to uphold capital punishment for those who are murdering others intentionally, that we might have justice in our land and that you would not have cause to judge us because of innocent blood unavenged. We pray, Lord, that your will would be done in our nation and that we as citizens will be the testimony to others that you want us to be. Help us to walk in wisdom and truly to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Massengill comes to lead us in prayer, and then we'll sing together, God be with you till we meet again. Pray with me, please. Father, as we stand here on the eve of Memorial Day, we um, lift up those who saw the need and acted and made the sacrifice that we have the freedom to stand here and worship you today. We praise you as looking down on us and seeing our need and making the sacrifice of your son so that we can be free in you forever. We lift up the mission of the day, Teams for Medical Missions in Jamaica, who spreads the gospel by providing needs of medical, clin- medical clinics, home construction, and Bible teaching. We commend that mission to you and those who act. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.